from Commander's Palace Restaurant in New Orleans. We're out to lunch with economist and assistant dean of Tulane University's Freeman School of Business, Peter Raschuti. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, and welcome to today's show. I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. Today, I'm going green with Rashida Ferdinand and Richard McCarthy. Richard is the executive director of Market Umbrella, the guys behind the Crescent City Farmers Market, and Rashida is executive director of the Sankofa Farmers Market. Now, the Sankofa Market is in the Ninth Ward, and Crescent City's markets are uptown, downtown, and mid-city. Rashida and Richard, food is central to the way we live here in New Orleans. Making groceries is part of the social fabric of the city. Uh, where you shop for groceries is one of those key New Orleans questions people ask each other, like, what high school did you go to? As pioneers of farmers markets in New Orleans, how do your markets find a market in the making groceries world of New Orleanians? Rashid, let me, let me start with you. Uh, uh, you're, you're down there in the Ninth Ward. You're, um, uh, how is it going? You're, you've, people are wondering, is there, are there enough folks down there to, to have a farmer's market? How's it working? We're doing okay. We're growing. It takes some time to build a market, to let people know that you're there. But I think the more that we're out there consistently every Saturday, doing a lot of outreach, working with the community, going to our neighborhood schools and organizations and churches and letting them know that this is a good place to get fresh food that's close to home, um, I think that we're growing. We have a good number of people coming consistently every week. And we see new people, new faces um, every time, you know, we come back to the market. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's kind of a social activity. There's people I know I'm going to see at the market. Right, and it's family uh, fun. People come, children come to the market. They play in the grass. And it's in a, a really nice place, um, Holy Angels, um, the Holy Angels Complex. It's a wait place where senior citizens live, um, where the nuns who run the place live. And, you know, there are some shrines that are there, altars that are there that <laughs> pay, you know, homage to different saints and the kids can play on those and they brother the grass it's, it's a really nice peaceful place um, that we all love the farmers and the vendors uh, you know different types of people who are selling food and food products they really enjoy coming and you're right in step with the national trend is Michelle Obama has a garden with her daughters and everybody's back right to, back yeah to the garden. we're doing a school garden project as well there's a school down the street from the market it's Kip Renaissance High School at Frederick Douglass so we have a program where we work with the high school students and they're learning about the benefits of eating good food. There's a school garden, so they're learning how to garden as well and see where the food comes from. And they also have an opportunity to come to the market and sell what they grow and do some cooking demonstrations um, using those fresh vegetables that they're growing. So we, we're trying to just work with everybody in the community and let them know that this is a good place to come to get food because we don't have much fresh food right. um, available in the neighborhood. Wow, and food does not come from a vending machine. You're teaching this. Exactly, this is gonna be, uh, this is our gonna be corner great. store. Rashida, if you and I married, you would be Rashida Rashidi, which would be very <laughs> wild. That would be one of the <laughs> one of the wildest <laughs> names in the city here. Richard, uh, um, you, you, uh, when I, the more I read about you, I, I I think of you here in New Orleans, but it's bigger than that, isn't it? It is. Um, our our mission is to cultivate the field of public markets for public good. And we do that here in New Orleans with our flagship Crescent City Farmers Market, which is our laboratory, where we learn, we experiment, we try and learn from our experiments, measure them, and then package them for tools to help grow markets all over the world. And in the, uh, you know, a funny thing happened as we careened towards the 21st century. 
we discovered food and place and people and the ancient tradition of a public assembly of vendors coming together, selling the fruits of their labor, and restating that public town square that is public markets. The most, um, I think, delicious and vibrant of these are farmers markets. And we've seen this growth of farmers markets uh, both um, locally, and Rashida's market has been a really important uh, post-Katrina risk-taking market, bringing food to neighborhoods that need not just food, but places to gather. Um, but this growth, this 400% growth over the last 15 years of farmers markets has occurred in part because people want to connect to each other, they want to connect to the cultural traditions of place, um, and they want to eat real food. I mean, they want to eat food that tastes of something, like, like the cauliflower that I can smell right That's now. That's right, you and I have, uh, we're all getting our soup here, so this is a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time to talk about food. Yeah, uh, when I see the vendors that are uh, there, uh, how do you connect with them? How do they, how's the arrangement work? Do you find them? Do they find you? Mm. A bit of both. I mean, back in 1995, when we first reached out to growers, it was a pretty audacious idea that farmers and fishermen would come back into the city center. Um, I know that when I was, I'd go to farmers' meetings, I'd go to their farms. It got to the point where it was almost levels of harassment, where um, there was a family in Plaquemines Parish, and I said, you know, can you come set up shop in New Orleans? People would love your, your citrus. Well, it was like asking them to come to Baghdad. <laughs> um, they were terrified of the city, um, uh, convinced that no one cared about the, the dignity of their labor and the quality of their products. And um, they were surprised that, in fact, almost overnight, their business model changed from being wholesalers to doing direct marketing, shipping direct sales to restaurants and direct sales into the market. And the markets, and I'm sure Rashida, you found this, the evolution of the vendors in your market, they learn each week and they listen to what shoppers want and they respond accordingly. And I, I think that you know, the reason why this ancient mechanism of farmers markets continues to grow and thrive and be reinvented is because they're business incubators. They're sort of public platforms for entrepreneurial learning. And you've brought some Blackman's Parish Satsumas to us today. I so have, it's, yeah. It's towards the tail end of this uh, not-so-chilly winter season, and uh, they're ripening quickly, so um, <laughs> make the most of Satsumas yeah. while they're here, but then we don't mourn too terribly because right behind them is strawberries. That's in that tree. And you can always make friends if you keep Satsumas in your pocket. Yes, you Rich is doing a good job. <laughs> you know, Richard, I meant to ask you earlier, tell me what, where the name comes from. Yeah, the name Sankofa is a Ghanaian word. It's from the Akan people of Ghana in Western Africa, and it means go back to the past to build for the future. Okay. So it's, an, it's a concept that I learned about as a young girl and always was drawn to the concept. It's a bird that looks over its tail. So I love the icon, that graphic image of this bird walking forward and looking back. And I used to draw it in my art classes. And when I started the organization, I decided to start this organization. I thought that would be a proper name for the work that we're trying to do and thought about what I learned from my parents, grandparents, um, elders in the community about what it means to build something. And thought it would be a good way to say we can make this place better by tapping into those things that were good, that were righteous, that helped us to be who we are. And um, I think it's been a, a, you know, some people say, what is that name and what does All that right. mean and how do you pronounce it? And so we've kind of labored over whether we wanted to keep um, a name that people weren't so familiar with, but it's a good conversational piece also. So we said, well, it means something. 
and um, it's personal also. And you know, when I'm at the markets, one of the things I, I always wonder is the vendors, uh, do they learn from each other? Are they a team or is it sort of competitive? Or how does it, uh, how does it work? Well, our group of vendors are team. They do watch each other, but they work together and we've told them, we all make up the market ourselves. The work that we do in the back office as well as the work that you all do to present a good product to the community and the market goers who come. We all are a part of this market being something that's great and outstanding and that can give it some longevity and sustainability. Um, so they really do know, okay, if this is another vegetable vendor coming and they have a great presentation, I need to step up what I'm doing to make sure that you know, the customers are going to come to me as well. They understand that they're a business, and then we try to instill that to them. We all are working together on this. Presentation is important. Accountability is important. Pres you know, how you look, how you care for your food, how you price your food, and, and let people know who you are. Customer Personality service. helps. I always, if right. they stop me, I always right. buy things I never thought I'd eat. You know, it's a, but yeah, they, uh, wow. They, now, Richard, it, around the rest of the country, or around the world, uh, there's farmer's markets in most major cities. Were we ahead of that curve or behind the curve? or how did Well, the great thing about New Orleans is that we're so far behind, we're in, we're in front. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> New Orleans... Great bumper <coughs> sticker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we live our lives here, it seems. Is, you know, but I think as we treasure the, um, the cultural assets, the traditional knowledge of our city, one of the sort of last remaining remnants of the traditional infrastructure for food in our city was the public market system. The French market still operating, conti almost continuously operating, um, was one of 32 public markets that the French and Spanish administrations helped to establish to um, regulate trade and pricing and food distribution in the city. And the markets were also incredible um, sort of mechanisms that would mainstream new immigrants and those on the economic margins to develop their own businesses. Um, so you can track uh, immigration through the markets and which groups went to which markets and, and which ones had everyone there. Um, but sadly, with um, the post-World War II period, the discovery of air conditioning and automobiles and suburbs and supermarkets. We really tossed it aside as this kind of smelly vestige of the past that plays no more role in the sort of sunbelt city of the future. And, um, and I think we, we threw the baby out with the bathwater because the markets were extraordinarily effective, easy access points for new farmers, um, younger farmers, fishermen to begin to cut their entrepreneurial teeth. And by the time the sort of mid-90s rolled around, there was beginning to see through the uh, growing organic food movement, the heirloom movement, uh, farmers markets, CSAs, these community-supported agriculture, new farmers, urban farmers, all this was beginning to take shape. New Orleans, um, I wouldn't say we were out front, but we were pretty far ahead of the curve. Um, it was difficult to do it in New Orleans. Um, in part, we're a... Uh, uh, we don't embrace regionalism. We like our fiefdoms of the individual parishes or state lines. Um, and we're surrounded by water, so the distances like of the farmers... Like that local, it's from Plaquemines Parish. Exactly, yes, yeah. That's right. I want a real local <laughs> Satsuma. Um, but we were certainly, um, I think two things. Um, it's, it's difficult to pull things off in New Orleans. Um, we think we have critical mass, but yet we don't quite. You know, it's sort of somewhat of an illusion. Um, it was tough those early days, um, trying to, to lure farmers, trying to lure consumers into the city center, 
terrified about crime, all those sorts of issues were, were, were obstacles. But we had a very supportive group of chefs, very supportive group of folks downtown and in City Hall, public health advocates. It started to build momentum. And because what we were originally housed at a, at a university uh, from a sort of social justice standpoint, we also learned from our um, experimentation in trying to re-regionalize our food system. So uh, what we found very quickly was that we were playing a role as a public market think tank and have helped to develop a good 50 markets throughout the Deep South over the last decade and a half. Wow. And then what we found was that this, this phenomena of civil society-led markets, these social enterprises, are not generally run by the city. It's run by entrepreneurial individuals like Rashida who pulls together a community team that um, says we want to we want to gain some control back over our food system. Consumers and farmers and neighborhoods all joining hands to do this is that there's a certain set of skills and um, expertise being developed in civil society. So that has taken the, the sort of coin of phrase of um, American style farmers markets, which is kind of mm -hmm. funny because we by no means invented farmers markets. We, we tried to destroy them, you know, through <laughs> modernization. Um, but throughout the world, what you see is these civil society-led markets that are new markets, even if alongside there are the traditional markets that have operated, the souks, the bazaars, the street markets that are operating throughout the developing world or Europe. And, um, and I think it is the, the, sort of the civil society innovation in the U.S. that has helped to cultivate a very mission-driven farmer's market movement. Well, that is, uh, that is tremendous. The, uh, you know, this is the uh, time we like to do uh, something called the checklist on the show. It's a, it's a part of the show where we take a little break uh, to go through a list of quick fire questions that you probably, well, probably would not find on a loan application, but it would, it would help us uh, get a, and I'll, I'll, I'll run them by you here. I'll, I'll start with you, R Rashida. The, um, um, what do you do on Mardi Gras day? What do I do? Hang out. <laughs> Hang, do um, you, whereabouts? Uh? Whereabout? I'm somewhere different. It seems like I've been somewhere different every year. Sometimes I may go this year I might go to Family Mardi Gras, um, some friends who may be on St. Charles Avenue and camp out with family. Um, I've been by Dickie Chase. Um, family Mardi Gras in, in New Orleans, in New Orleans. not Family Gras in Jefferson well, Parish. Which well, I was in the French Quarters last year, okay. and I wouldn't call it, so I'd say I wouldn't say that's Family Mardi Gras <laughs> <There we go. laughs> in the French Quarters. Not Sodom and Gomorrah, but, but just something north been of that. Been in Dickie Chase restaurant with oh some yeah. friends, um, hanging out there. So I, I'm, I'm really open. I've been to Arlene's and Claiborne area. French quarters. I'm all over St. Charles. Um, it's a good day to walk around, it see what's out there. It is your mobile. There's a and Richard. What about yourself on that day? Well, we spend our family spends it in the French Quarter, um, usually hanging out at the R Bar in, in Marigny, and then parade into the French Quarter and then have um, cafe and beignet, and then hopefully a nap by mid afternoon. <laughs> You know the nap's going to work. And, and this is an odd question to ask you two because of what you do for a living, but is there one food or vegetable you don't like? Hmm. Well, I've, I've long been, been dis well, I've, I've long said that, I, that I've never met a vegetable I never dislike <laughs> because I'm being a vegetarian, I, I have to learn to love them. Um, You've been a vegetarian for long? Uh, since I was 15. Wow. Okay. Um, certainly got me into food issues. Um, Not because you... Um, like animals, you just really hate vegetables, right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one vegetable that I think is overrated is yellow squash, and um, 
I, I wish it no ill. Right, um, and it is damn easy to grill. Yeah, it's damn easy to grill. <laughs> but I, 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 get, I, I bore of yellow squash. Okay, all right. Rashida's the, the one meal that, uh, one food? I haven't met one I don't like, but the one that I don't really know how to prepare, and I'm looking at them every day because they're growing in our school garden, the mustard greens. And ah. I just know you have to prepare them a certain way and mix them with collards or mix them with something else so they're not bitter. So if I was going to say it's very healthy, you know, they're good for you, but I would prefer kale, I would prefer collards if I'm going to say I'm going to prepare something. All right, we'll bring an expert in the mustard <laughs> greens. That would be, uh, and Rashid, uh, would you ever live on the North Shore? If I had no other choice in the world, but I love my home. Okay. Right off the river in the Lower Ninth Ward. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, we're on the other side. Richard, any? Uh, no, but I spend a lot of time on the North okay. Shore with um, visiting farms, visiting That's farmers. Um, and the more time I spend there, the more I think it's important that we find ways for them to make a living as farmers so they can preserve some remnants of rural life there rather than our city just sort of expanding endlessly into um, endless suburbs on the North Shore. And what you brought up is so important. You talked about the lack of regionalism. That was always a big problem with the city, uh, for this region, for economic development. You know, one parish would just fight the other parish for, for something. It's, it's getting better, though. Do you, you feel that? I, I've always felt that after Katrina. Yes, and I, and I think that the people are way ahead of the policymakers and elected officials on this because people live regional lives every day. And when I go to a market, this is something I wanted to ask, is, uh, is it, uh, you, you don't have two of the same vendor, right? Is that the way it would work? In other words, would there be two shrimp dealers? We're or a smaller market. I think, Richard, I think you all have two shrimp vendors sometimes at your market. I, I, we, I, I think yeah. it's, it's um, I mean, I think it, it's really important to visit Sankofa Farmer's Market, especially at this juncture where you've, You've made it through the difficult, difficult early mm -hmm. steps. You're growing, and you're getting to see a snapshot of a market at a certain stage of development where you balance this issue of competition and cooperation. Um, and it's always difficult to bring in more competition, whether it's another citrus grower or another shrimper, because the fear is that they're going to go home unhappy having not sold enough. Um, what we've always found is when you inject, and whether it's art or science, we're still not yet sure, <laughs> but when you inject the right amount of competition, it actually grows a bigger market. So I think the goal we're always having, we always have the goal is that we want more competition, more choice for consumers, more opportunities for competing vendors to learn from one another, because I think as Rashida, you described that when, yeah, a new produce grower comes in with a great display, everyone, you know, so ups, ups their, their game. game. Yeah, I would think. Um, but it is this, at what point do you bring in the competition because you don't want the market to then tear itself apart from unfettered competition. So I, mean, I, I actually think it's a little bit like we play micro-Keynesianism, where we have this hidden hand that intervenes and creates competition uh, where we see the demand increase and if products sell out very quickly, well we need to find ways to get more of that product into the market. And, um, and congratulations, you're the first guest to mention John Maynard Keynes. <laughs> that is a, a, I believe there's a prize. Uh, for <laughs> Even before the main course. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <yeah. they> <laughs> it's, it's about relationships too. You know, we have relationships with our vendors and we want them to do as well as we want to do as a market for our community. And we have more than one vegetable vendor. We have two bread vendors. But 
we know that you know our shrimp vendors need the business and we want them to be able to make as much money as they can and not have a product that spoils we want them to be able to sell their product so as Richard said we have to be very aware of our customer base and how much they're selling and how much money they're making and then decide if we bring somebody in to consult with them as well to let them know we may be bringing another vendor in because more, there's more of a demand. Um, at this point though we have enough supply to meet our demand with one shrimp vendor but I think as we grow we just have to look at what's needed um, in our area. And where do the people come from? Are, are the, the customers, what percentage of them are from that area and how, what percent come in from out of parts of town? A good majority of our customers come from the area. We don't ask our customers what area they come from. We kind of sneak it's that information. It's not like Harris Casino where you know, it's on the <laughs> tag. And right, we don't, <laughs> you know, we don't, sir, we don't want to ask them too many questions because people come to shop not to get profiled or interviewed. <laughs> and so we, we want them to have an enjoyable experience, but we do find that a lot of them are local. They come from the upper and lower Nightwood area. We do have customers from Gentilly. Um, some come from Mid-City. Some come from uptown, so they they it varies, um, but we do have a lot of local neighborhood customers who come to the market. You know what I got out of from both of you is the idea that you're not just the the, the place. I mean, you're kind of coaching them about business a bit, the, particularly the people that are new to this. Isn't it? That's, That's terrific. important, you know, starting on time and being prepared on time. And if my vendors are listening right now, we talk <laughs> about that. You know, if we have a certain Bob. Hour or <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes on an hour when you're supposed to be set up and ready, that means something because we have customers waiting to come into the market. And I say, if you have a coffee shop and it says it's open at 10 and you get to have your once your morning cup of coffee and the coffee shop is not open, you're going to be a little upset and you may not go back. And right. think about the market that way. If you want to keep continuing to get patrons, then you have to also honor what we say we're going to give to our customers. And if we say we're going to be open and ready at a certain time, we need to be ready because we have to treat this like a real business. And I, I assume this over time there's vendors that just can't meet those needs and kind of move on to somewhere else, right? Uh, if they if they can't, you know, we're working with them. We're we we have a good bunch of vendors who are really honoring that, and um, we have those conversations a lot. And they understand if this is not something they could do on a Saturday morning, then they do. You know, they move on. But we basically, after having conversations with our vendors, we're able to start on time and have a good presentation and a good smooth market, and you know, everybody's happy well by two o'clock. At two o'clock, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's great. You know. Uh, uh, I think it is almost time uh, to check uh, the inbox. That's another part of this uh, program where, where our producer picks a question that comes from a listener. And uh, Grant, what have you got today? Peter, I've got a question here that came to our email address from a person called Catherine Servise, I think it's pronounced. This might be looking a bit further down the road for Sankofa, but it might be interesting some, uh, about where you might be going in the future. She asks, are there any places in the country where occasional farmers markets have become permanent fixtures, like daily. Is there any way that could happen here in New Orleans? Well, that is a good question. See, you didn't get a question about space exploration or anything. This is good. This is right up your market. <laughs> they, uh, is, uh, what you, is, uh, so s some markets, has that happened? Uh, well, I think every market, every, every public market building, whether it's the iconic Pike, Pike Place Market in Seattle uh, or the French market, began as an open-air market. Over time, as it became more established, um, more of a, a permanent operation, 
you begin to see little bits and pieces of the physical infrastructure change. So you may first see um, you know, the, the paving and the stall space being built out. And then maybe a shed will go up. And then there are walls on the shed. And suddenly you have a public market hall. Uh, there has been um, also a significant, though not as dynamic, growth of public market buildings as we've seen new ones go up in the last uh, 20 years. The challenge is that they're so um, expensive to maintain. There are bricks and mortar and bathrooms you've got to maintain and leaking roofs and all of that and staffing. The beautiful thing about this, this explosive growth of this renaissance of farmers markets is their low overhead operations. Now I think uh, Rashid, no roof would be no roof. low overhead. Yes. No, a big capital <laughs> investment is a tent or an umbrella, um, <laughs> which I think is extremely important as we look at how do we move the informal economy into more formal settings where more profits can be earned by local businesses to keep local money circulating. Um, we need to find those points of intervention. Farmers markets, just like art markets, are these points of intervention that are, are replicable because of the low overhead nature. Um, but I, I think you probably would agree, Rashida, that just because it's low overhead doesn't make it easier to run. It is so much more complex, in a way, to run something without the added infrastructure. So, though we have seen markets move from open air to fixed structure, um, I think when we look at the 21st century public market, um, you know, you're looking at a 30-year process. It may not happen in two years. And in fact, the most terrifying thing might be the financing that comes to do just that and get in over your head and then the public market crashes. Now Rashida, how do, you, how do you pick a good spot? How did you pick where you would be? I mean, you had the Ninth Ward had obviously a lot of empty spaces. Well, how did you decide where to go? That's a great question. We actually started in the Lower Ninth Ward, um, down the street from Fast Domino's house, which we were just talking yes, about been there. Um, before we, we started the program, but on Capitan and St. Claude. And we thought it was a great spot to um, have a monthly event. We started as a monthly marketplace to try to revitalize the area and bring people together and have a number of different types of programs and activities, which was great. I mean, it was a great community gathering space. The people asked for more fresh vegetables. They wanted to see more greens and more citrus and more farmers It's been consumer-driven. It was uh, consumer-driven. That's why we started this farmer's market. It was the call of the people who were coming to the monthly marketplace to say, we want more farmers. And so we had been talking to Market Umbrella um, since we began the monthly market, even though we weren't using their model as a farmer's market, we still had been talking to them about developing a marketplace in the community and getting some insight. And what Richard and his team suggested was if you're going to do a farmer's market or if you're going to do something where you want more farmers, you need to do a farmer's market. That's a certain culture that's required for a farmer's market. And so we decided to take their advice and um, move forward with this, that type of structure, um, having a place that catered to the needs of the farmers. And um, we were in the Lower Ninth Ward for about... I think about a year. Um, really, I think doing great work, but the population was not able to support the needs of the vendors at the market. The number of market goers weren't meeting the supply. Right. And we needed to balance out that supply and demand that we had been talking about. And we were just thinking about how we could stay close to the neighborhood, still continue our mission, um, meeting the needs of an area that does not have much access to fresh food, but still 
you know, meet the needs of the vendors as well because they're businesses. They have to sustain themselves as well and pay their bills. And that's quite a balance so you struck there. So I, you went to? So we went to Holy Angels Complex. I had a relationship with the nuns, the women who run that, that mm. center already from working with them previously. And they said, come on over. And, and they welcomed us to be a part of their their space and we've been there ever since. And then during this you contacted Richard who has become the kind of Warren Buffett of farmers markets around the, uh, there's, uh, that's the way I think of you, I think most people refer to you. the Jimmy Buffett. The Jimmy Buffett of a, <laughs> they're a wonderful family if you've ever met them. They're, um, they, uh, if you have a question or comment, drop it uh, in the Out to Lunch inbox at outtolunch at itsneworleans.com or tweet us on Twitter, we're at itsneworleans. And this is the part of the show we usually talk about a, a publicly traded company. And uh, Richard Rashid, I don't think you would get this because I didn't get this either. The largest public company in Louisiana. Um, any idea who that would be? Surprising. Surprising. I, my guess was going to be Entergy or such, but it's not. It's a company in Monroe called CenturyTel, which is uh, uh, operates local telephone services in 22 states, and they are a $23 billion market cap company. They bought Quest, which is uh, the, far, the uh, phone company for out west, and, and uh, they did that about 18 months ago, and they are the largest company out there. They trade on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol CTL. And uh, because they focus on rural and smaller markets, they don't run into the, the price competition that everybody does in the, in the cities. So, um, so this was a good one to pick because it was rural and your guys are far. And, and they found their niche. They did. That was, uh, they found it right up at the, the tip top <laughs> of the state. But, uh, you know, I know people in New Orleans sometimes have trouble understanding the, the state as a whole, but it's, it's, it's right up there. I've, I've been there. It's a nice place. You're they sure it's there. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Rashida Ferdinand, Richard McCarthy, thanks so much for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Uh, all of us owe you a debt of gratitude for working so hard to make our lives healthier. So on behalf of New Orleans, thanks. And we wish you both a continued success. Rashida, Richard, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. it coming. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Rashida Ferdinand, Executive Director of Sankofa Farmers Market in the Ninth Ward, and Richard McCarthy, Executive Director of Market Umbrella with Farmers Markets Uptown, Downtown, and Mid-City. For more information about Richard and Rashida's Farmers Markets, follow the links on our site, It's New Orleans. Com. Our show is recorded over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and is performing our theme music. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, and you can also follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on iTunes, and check out the other shows on itsneworleans.com. They include Happy Hour and Mindset. If you have a question or issue you'd like brought up on the show, drop us a line. We're out to lunch at itsneworleans.com, or tweet us, we're at itsneworleans. Thank you to our friends at WWNO, New Orleans source for NPR News, and thank you for joining us at lunch today. Until we meet around the table here at Commander's Palace again, I'm Peter Rashidi. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com.